Joe's going to come up and read a few verses from Genesis chapter 6 to set the scene. Starting at verse 9 and reading to the end of the chapter. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Some years ago I was watching the famous atheist Richard Dawkins. Anybody ever listened to her Richard Dawkins? And uh, he was addressing a group of students and young people and uh, he said to them, you know, he said there are still people around today that believe in the myth of Noah's Ark. He said, and what's worse, they're teaching them to our children and they're also trying to teach them in our colleges and universities. This is ridiculous, he said. And I thought then, well, if we believe that the flood as Christians, if we Christians, was an historical event, universal and uh, catastrophic, how do we answer the people of our generation who say it was a flood? We can't just say, well, we believe it. So how do you know? Have you got any proofs that it was? So I want to start this talk this morning just giving you some basic realities that we can bear uh, in mind and even bring before people. The first is this. There are literally scores 
and scores of cultures all over the world that have flood legends um, in their own history um, whereby they will teach their children and say that you know that this actually happened there was a deity a god who was really cross with what was going on on planet earth and so he decided that he would come down and flood the earth and it was a divine judgment and then there are other writers in the bible like isaiah and peter and who speak of Noah, not to fail to mention the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the truth, and God incarnate, who cannot lie, that was talking about this as well. They referred to Noah as a literal man or a literal event. And then interestingly enough, in October 1959, a pilot for NATO, flying on a mapping mission over eastern Turkey, in the Ararat region, spotted a land formation in the shape of an ark. And he was curious, and he grabbed a few friends, and afterwards they went down later to have a look at this. And since then, quite a lot of scientists and engineers have visited this site to ascertain if this could actually be the site and the place of Noah's ark. And uh, the last um, expedition to do something like this, the big one, was in 2014. And they scanned the ground with penetrating radar equipment and 3D imaging to a depth of 125 feet and found what they felt to be a man-made structure resembling the ark with three decks. And they found a lot of iron in that locality, which isn't a, a native product. There's not a lot of iron there. And as they looked round the general area, they found what are called droog or drogue stones. These are heavy shaped stip shape, uh, ship stabilizers, um, and they got an actually man-made hole through the top, uh, necessary for keeping the ark in position. And Noah would have needed lots of these. And then, interestingly enough, all around the wider area of this particular locality in Turkey um, are um, rocks and um, in the locality with crosses, Christian crosses on them, and um, as if to indicate that through the last two millennia, probably for the first thousand years more than the other one, um, Christians have been to the area, discovered it to be, believed it to be the ark, and have left their mark before they go by putting the sign of the cross, uh, engraving it on some of the arks. And um, then, in, uh, just uh, in this connection, um, in the frozen areas of the world, like Siberia, Siberia, huge mammoths have been found that all died suddenly, and they have found subtropical vegetation in their mouths. And uh, these are all pointers. It's not going to convince everybody, but it's good to point these things out to people. Chuck Missler, an American mathematician, says this of the arc. It was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. And it was half the size of the Titanic. It was quite a, quite a vessel. And you could fit five, he said, you can fit 500 railroad cars into it and actually filled with stuff. It was covered with pitch inside as well as 
outside. Have you ever wondered why the arc will be covered with pitch inside as well as the outside? And um, some people feel it was for, to preserve it um, for a discovery one day. And I have no hesitation personally in believing in the account of Genesis of an ark with eight people being saved and there being a universal flood. Jesus said this, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be at the end of time. People were marrying and being given in marriage right up to the time that Noah entered the ark. And it's good that we tell our children these things um, in a level, to the level they can understand it, and just not to terrify them, but just to say these things. But it's also... We need to say these things so that we, can, we personally can be stip, gripped and stirred by Jesus' words to warn our generation in which we live. Um, where We need to ask ourselves, where are we at today in our generation? Is it the same as Noah's time? Is it different? Um, Noah's generation, as Jill read to us, was very corrupt, and it outlines it there in Genesis 6. Ours is no better. So what I'm going to do this morning is give you five points, beginning with the letter D, to describe the build-up of Noah's time, what was going on in his day, and to bring an analysis and to look at it in our times and to say things look pretty much today as they were in Noah's day. First of all, there was depravity. My first D is this, depravity everywhere. Joseph Stalin of um, infamous Russian communism times said this, those who vote around our world change nothing at all. Those who count the votes change everything. The Apostle Paul told the Philippians in their day that they lived in a crooked and perverse generation. John MacArthur, an American pastor, quite well known, said recently in one American town there were organized mass riots, 2,000 people were injured, and the damage was in the area of $70 million. And in the West today, in the world, in our part of the world where we live, um, it's chosen to live without what are called absolutes, God's unchanging laws as given by God. And we live in a time where everybody's right, and nobody's wrong. We accept everything and judge no one. I was watching a guy called Charles, uh, 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 sorry, Dennis, Dennis Prager, and uh, he's an American, uh, he's a Jew, and he's an educationalist, and they go, he travels around, he, he's, he's, he brings a lot of common sense wherever he goes. He said he visited a sixth form college in the States, and um, he, he, being a Jew, he asked this question. He said, Adolf Hitler, when he killed six million Jews, did he do right or did he do wrong? He said there was absolute silence in the, class, in the lecture room, in the classroom. And then one young guy stood up, he said, Sir, he said, personally, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have done that. But I cannot say he was wrong. And Dennis Prager said, to have said yes, he did wrong, would have presupposed a law that said thou shalt not kill. And if you say, then the next question is to ask, where would such a law come from if not from God? This generation finds it very hard to accept God's absolute laws and standards. The so-called woke 
culture of our time has affected every level of life where people fear to have their views differed, to have different views from the modern culture. They know, especially those in high places, that they can get hit by the cancel culture where certain people around the world just can lift the telephone and say, this person's cancelled out. And that film star, that politician, that person, whatever level of society, finds it difficult to have a bank account, to have a future, and to have any success. Uh, they just don't get any promotion. They don't go anywhere. You don't need the secret police today in many parts of the world. You just need the cancel culture to cancel you out. And believe me, around the world today, it might not be so much in our culture, our, time, our area, but people fear this. They know they can hit hard. The way Isaiah summed up hit the world in his day could be said of ours as well. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. There's no, injust there's no justice in their paths, and they have turned every one of them to their crooked ways. But praise God in these times, there are millions of people around the world who have absolute values, absolute truth, because they know the absolute true God. And God is building his church in these times as well. So in the days of Noah, there was depravity everywhere. And then my second D is this, the decision by God to judge the world, that world of that time. At some time, as God looked at the planet in that time, Earth, he came to the decision put, to put an end to all the evil that he saw. But behind those first raindrops that began to fall, there lay nearly 1,000 years of patient waiting and, and um, love grace because it, as it were he didn't want to judge and this is tremendous to see now if you've got your bibles there or you want to look on the screen and you'll see i i put this out a little bit of a, a simple arithmetic it reveals an amazing truth genesis 5 verse 21 says this that a boy was born called methuselah and Methuselah, his name means that when he dies, it will happen. It will come to pass. Genesis 5.25, when he reached 187, he became the father of Lamech. When Lamech, his son, was 182, he became the father of Noah. And in Genesis 7.6, when Noah was 600 years old, the great flood hit the earth. Now Methuselah, if he was alive, adding those numbers together, he would be 969. And in fact, when we do add those numbers together, they come to 969. And so that's what he would be. When we, but then we're told in Genesis 5.27 that Methuselah died when he was 969, and as he dies, the first raindrops begin to fall. When Methuselah died, when he dies, it will happen. When Methuselah dies, the arithmetic says that's when the raindrops began to fall and the floods began to come. God's judgment and grace and patience waited that long before he entered into judgment. 
What can we learn from this for our our own times? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer in Romans 2. God's patience and kindness and love must lead us to repentance. If we do not repent, he adds this, we are storing up wrath against ourselves for the day of God's wrath. And then he, the, um, the Apostle Paul picks this up again in, in Acts 17 in his sermon to the men of Athens. God has set a day when he would judge the world in justice. Over 1,000 years, God's heart was breaking. God's heart was breaking. He wanted people to repent and turn to him. Judgment, as Martin Luther said, is God's strange work. In view of God's coming judgment, how important it is to tell our generation that the wrath is on its way. We talk of the love of God so much, and we forget that God is a righteous and a holy God who who waits to enter into judgment, but he is a God of justice. I love the story of one man who was a slave owner Filthy, dirty, revolting, lost. And he understood God's grace and didn't want to come into this judgment. And he was saved. And he wrote a lovely hymn called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, found I'm blind, but now I see. And that was John Newton. Thirdly, the third D is this. Disregard on the part of the people and it gets pretty sad now for over over a hundred years they had laughed at and lived with what Noah was doing they had watched the ark take shape and I think as I in my mind's eye the day that God shut that door perhaps this there were loads of guys loads of men sitting out in the cafes now you don't see this in our own culture we tend to go inside into a pub or into a restaurant but if you go to southern europe or if you go into the muslim cultures you see these great cafes and these great all, all the chairs outside and in my mind's eye i can see i can see that these guys there were guys there talking talking business the ladies were picking up items of shopping going to the school getting the children. Army officers were planning their strategy and their stability and looking to wondering where the future was going. The world and his wife were out there shopping, um, rambling, doing their thing. And a measure of normality will be evident everywhere. A pagan, godless society just getting on with life with all the corruption and all the violence and all the filth as well going on, but a real measure of normality, pretty much like our world today. They had seen, they got used to seeing Noah and his sons make journeys and forays to preach everywhere. You know, before I got down to studying this, actually, I used to think that, you know, people used to come from far and wide and see the ark and Noah would be busy all day long. I think Noah would say to his boys, look, let's just get out there and tell them. And I can imagine Noah saying to his wife, we'll be back in two or three days. And they would make forays. They would go out into the countryside, way out, and preach the gospel and say, the time is going to come. And when it's the right time, you need to come into the ark. Make plans to do this. But that generation, living with this bizarre and melodramatic neighbor, um, was something they just learned to do. And there was a total disregard 
for his message. Now a disregard for God and his gospel could well describe the world in which we live today. They show no regard. Let me give you three reasons why the world shows no regard for God today. First of all, they say, science has shown us that there's no God. You know, there was just a simplistic beginning with atoms and molecules in perfect conditions um, just coming together and beginning to evolve and generate. And it's been marvellous, but billions of years ago it all happened. And this explains the world as it is today. And then they say, this is what the scientists say to us. What people ignore is that quite a percentage of the world's top scientists today are very committed Christians. There's a guy called Dr. Alan Sandage, and he's called the greatest observational cosmologist in the whole world. He was converted to Christ a few years ago, and he said this, It was only through the supernatural that I could understand the mystery of existence. He said, I came to see in God the answer. And, and then there's also a guy called John Lennox. If you want to go on YouTube sometime over this winter, um, you'll see John Lennox. And if you, you can pick him up and he debates um, Richard Dawkins and many of these top atheists. Let me tell you an experience I had. Uh, I was asked to preach a few years ago in a small church uh, on the outskirts of Cambridge in North Arbury. And uh, I turned up to this little estate church. And as I walked into the foyer there, I saw John Lennox. I said, John, what are you doing here in a place like this? He said, uh, I'm doing my duty. He said, it's Mothering Sunday. And he said, um, and my um, mother-in-law is here, he said, and I've come to just celebrate this time with her. I said, but I was watching you last night um, in a small village on the outskirts of Sudbury taking on Richard Dawkins. And he said, yes, he said, I get lots of opportunities to do that uh, in these times. He is a mathematician, he's a scientist, and he takes on Chris Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and all these top atheists, and he wins. They can't hold a candle to him. He brings a Christian message with clarity and love and conviction. And there are many scientists like them. Other people say, there can't be a God because what suffering has done to us. This is a big subject worthy of a couple of Sundays here sometime looking at this. Um, but a lot of people have moved away from God because they say, I, I cannot believe in God because of so much suffering in the world today. We cannot blame God for man's inhumanity to man in one sense like that. But then many of these people have said this, have got to thinking, to talk about suffering and injustice, um, you have to have an objective morality. You can't go around and say, um, oh, you know, it, uh, you, th th this is wrong, this is evil, this is unjust, unjust, this should never happen. If there's not an opposite that says this is true, this is right, this is clean, this is how we should live. And they said, where could that come from? Where did that standard come from, if not from God? And it's driven them to God. And they said with C.S. Lewis, Lewis, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain and many people when they've suffered have been driven to God into God's arms and they've come to God and found God other people thirdly here say you know in this disregard 
Um, we, we disregard God. We don't need God because of what the world can give us. And in fact, the 21st century offers travel, adventure, success, and wealth. And they say, who has time for God? But that's okay for a season. And I'm sure Stuart can tell us, and June from their pastoral experience, and others that have had pastoral experience, that there comes a time in the lives of these people when everything falls apart. I've spoken to a man that said, I, he said, I keep the lights on in my house every night. I can't stand the darkness. He said, I've, he's had a good life. He said, oh, I'm scared stiff. Every light in my house is on. These people have lost their husbands. They've lost their wives. They've gone. And their friends have gone. Their money has gone. Their health has gone. But boy, did they have a good time of traveling and in living it up at one time. And they didn't, who had time for God? Total disregard. It is only for a season. Their time comes. If you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. And that's life. And I'm sure people here don't want to do that. Okay. And then pressing on, I want to talk about a day. The fourth day is a day of sadness. Let me just set the scene. Those guys sitting outside the bar suddenly see the sky become overcast. And um, one turns to the other, he says, what's that? We haven't seen that before, have we? Whatever's going on? No, we've never seen that before. And, um, and then um, the world and his wife are out for a stroll and they feel what they've never felt before. They feel raindrops on their face. And they think, whatever's going on? And then across the whole inhabited world, panic strikes in a dreadful way. Three things at least would strike them uh, hard. And um, the first one they felt struck with was this. The realisation that Noah was right. They may may well have said to each other, if only we had listened to the old codger. If only we had listened to him and paid attention. Why ever didn't we take him more seriously? And here I'm going to say one of the, um, what I think the most serious parts of the message I want to give you now today, and it's this. At a future date, people we know and people that we've worked with and people that have been around us and people in our families um, are going to be saying, If only we had listened, why ever didn't we take them more seriously when all of a sudden millions and millions and millions of people disappear quickly from this world. The rapture of the church has come. Jesus Christ has returned. Two sleeping in a bed, one is taken, the other left. Two guys going to play football. One is taken, another left. Two lorry drivers in a van or lorry and one is taken, the other left. And suddenly people are going to say, just like they said in Noah's day, we should have listened to him. Why ever didn't we take them more seriously? But it is too late. The realisation that Noah was right Secondly, because of the reality of the closed door. 
people would have been screaming out to one another, find Bob, find Sue, find Angela, everyone into the ark. Noah was right. He'll let us in. We'll go to him. And though they may have wanted to, they could not get in. No, no, though, though, though they wanted to get in, Noah couldn't let them in. He probably leaned over the ark and said, I can't do it because God has shut the door. And when God shuts the door, nobody is going to go in that door. What God opens, we can go through. And it's only when God opens doors we can go through them, or we should go through them. But this door was shut. And um, it will never be opened again. If there's anyone here today who is still undecided, then my word to you is this. Open your heart to the Lord before it's too late. And while the door is still open, the realisation that Noah was right, the reality of the closed door, and then the ruin of the whole earth. Water gushed out from the depths of the earth and poured down from the sky for 40 days. The earth was deluged, inundated, and everything perished, except for those in the ark. And the fifth day is this, the dawn of a new era. Eight people that day, after nearly a year in the ark, or just over, was it? Eight people begin a new life. And the ark prefigures and is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who comes to him hides in him. This is why the Apostle Paul writes his letters and says that those in Christ, in Christ, are new creatures. And there's so much of Paul's writing that we are in Christ. We will never perish in the fiery judgment to come. And believe me now, the world is even now being psychologically prepared for the coming of the devil's Messiah. His name is the Antichrist. The world is longing for a strong man. The world is longing for answers. They say of us in Britain, we are crying out for a leader at the moment. And uh, other countries are as well. It's a, it's a sad situation. And um, we're on the dawn of this new era. And, um, but, and one thing is that we will, we will never perish in the fiery judgment. But our friends and colleagues that refuse the Lord will have to undergo the, the entry into this time of this despot when he comes. And it will be too late. We will enter then a new dawn as Christians of a new era. Firstly, the millennial reign. I just throw this as an interesting aside. The preacher David Pawson used to say that he felt that before the eternal state sets in, the Lord will use the Christian church in the millennium to bring it back to its pristine condition. That we will be active in the millennium and then comes the eternal age. When we will explore the galaxies, who knows what we will do? We will be the saved, the ones that have found refuge. Noah and his family found refuge in the ark and were saved. We have come to Christ and we find refuge in him and to be there eternally with Jesus. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, is the message. May God add his blessing to what we've 
heard this morning. Shall we just pray? Lord, this whole book, this, this whole chapter on these chapters on Noah tell us that a time will come when you will judge planet Earth. And judgment, Lord, is your strange work. But we thank you for your grace and patience that is incredible, nearly a thousand years in Noah's time, and so much to lead this generation, this world to repentance in our days. Lord, we pray that as a church we might be gripped by the urgency of the hour to share your word with people. We pray that we might see this room here filled and full of those who need to who need to find you. Use us, O oh God, so that we might be urgent in our pleas and give that grace and understanding to people to heed what we have to say, lest they are surprised. Um, just as a generation of Noah was when the raindrops began to fall and wished they had listened to him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.